<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. About.com was launched in 1997, and it used to be one of the most popular websites in the world. Now one man, an internet entrepreneur and investor, Neil Vogel, has been tasked with saving the IAC-owned .com brand from extinction. And I got a phone call from uh, Joey Levine, who's now the CEO of IAC, and he says, what do you think of About.com? And my answer in like perfect internet arrogance was like, I, I don't. Like, who thinks of About.com? <laughs> no one thinks. It's a thing with these blue links on it. Like, I don't think about About.com. Neil wound up taking the CEO job, and he's trying something crazy to save it. He's shutting down the entire website, and in its place, he's launching half a dozen new brands. We went back to IAC into that meeting and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn this place from AOL or Yahoo or MSN, and I'm going to turn this into Condé Nast or Vox, and that's what we're going to do. And this is either going to work and be a great success, or we're going to crash the plane as we're flying it, and this is going to be a horrible failure. So far, the radical plan seems to be working. We spoke with Neil about this turnaround, and before that, how he founded the Webby Awards, which have been called the Oscars of the Internet. Neil also explained how he took a cross-country road trip in a Ford Bronco that changed the entire trajectory of his career on this episode of Success, How I Did It. I'm your host, Business Insider's U.S. Editor-in-Chief, Allison Chantal. Neil Vogel is the CEO of About.com, a 250-person media company that you've revived. It was a dot-com baby, I think, founded in 1996 or so. 96. Originally. We're 20 years old. We're not a baby. We're like we're not even adolescent. Yeah, we're like a full-fledged like millennial. <laughs> <I don't even laughs> we're like a millennial. Um, but so we have Neil here, and you've had a life as a venture partner at a VC firm before for Firstmark. Um, you actually created a company that made awesome events like the Webby Awards, yes. which has been called the Oscars of the Internet. Yes, yes, yes. And Internet Week. So, and that too, yeah. Um, lots of things you've created. I've done a lot of things. I'm old, man. I'm old. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go back to when you were young. Okay. When you were young and hungry, how did you start this career? Investment banking, uh, right? Yeah, I was... Um, I listened to your podcast with Brian Goldberg, and he talked about when, when I got out of college, which was like 1992... I went to Penn. The, the only things you could seemingly that you could do, there weren't startups or entrepreneurs, or there were, but it wasn't like it is now. You could be an investment banker, you could be a consultant, or you could go be a brand manager somewhere. And I didn't do any of those things. Actually, for a year, I was I did took an internship at IMG, the big sports agency, which I was terrible at, and I hated it. So after seven months, I went back to my roots, and I was an investment banker. And I was a banker for five or six years. Uh, and I, I very quickly learned that uh, 
I admired and respected my clients a lot more than my bosses. Like I did not want to be like some dude eating Chinese food in the office on Sunday night at 7.30, like making a model for someone else's business. That to me seemed stupid. It seemed to me like I wanted to be the guy the model's being made for, which makes some sense. So um, I ended up leaving and going to work with a couple of guys who just started a company called Alloy, which Alloy Media and Marketing for you Internet 1.0 people. Uh, you might remember it. I was, I think the my phone extension was 106. So I think I was the sixth person there. Uh, we ended up growing to being a $300 million revenue business, very profitable, went public, had a really good run. What was it like back in those days for people who might be young listening to this podcast? It, it's hard to describe. It was just a bunch of, we were kids. We were, we were 27, 28, 29 when it went public. We were just playing business with other people's money. And it felt irresponsible, but it felt very, we tried really hard. We worked incredibly hard. We did, uh, we built a really, my, the, the guys who, the founder of the company, Matt Diamond, was incredibly smart and was always very focused on building a business that made money, which we bought a lot of businesses and we always made money. So we didn't have the outcome of a lot of 1.0 guys. We, we ended up being pretty successful, but it just was crazy. Everything was at hyperspeed. Nobody knew anything. And you just, we were the first at everything we did. So it was really fun. Ultimately, I wanted to run my own thing. So uh, I left, took a year off, and with a partner started a business called Recognition Media that you mentioned is known. We ended up owning and producing uh, nine or ten different award, uh, award shows and events, including the Webby Awards, and we started Internet Week, which we subsequently sold. Um, so before we get into that, though, I want to go into that time in between jobs because you did a cool soul-searching experiment in which you bought a truck and you drove across the country. I did. You took, what, six months off? I took, like, almost a year off. Okay, so, so tell the, me about this crazy road trip uh, so that I changed was, your life. I don't know. I was like 32 and single, and we just had like this reasonably good outcome, and I had no responsibilities and like no expenses. I had like a dumb rental apartment. Um, so I bought an old Ford Bronco and and like took the roof off and drove around for a summer. I just I was really burnt. My father actually gave me great advice. He said, "Look, you're in a position where you don't have kids, you don't have anything. Like, go get yourself bored and figure out what you want to do. All I knew is I didn't want to be the fourth of four anymore. And, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I was good at. I didn't know what I was interested in. So for like a couple of months, I was really trying hard to think about it and figure it out. And then I just decided to not think about anything for six. And it's a luxury. Believe me, I know it's an incredible luxury to be able to do that. I didn't think about anything. And then everything became clear. And it's an amazing feeling to have n like no responsibilities. Just what am I going to do? Oh, I'm going to go drive here and visit my friend, or I'm going to get on a plane and go to Europe and hang out with my. It was great. It was amazing. I was at the beach um, with some friends before Labor Day weekend in I think it's 2004, and I hadn't done anything for the whole summer. I, I actually didn't. I wasn't even checking email for like a month, um, and I panicked because I had hit maximum boredom. And I got in this truck and I drove back, I drove back to Manhattan on like the Thursday before Labor Day weekend when everyone was going out to like go to the beach and have fun. I got on a plane, flew to LA to where my business partner was and we wrote a business plan and ended up, uh, that became the business that was the Webby Awards and Recognition Media. So I did that and it was actually, I tell people it was the best thing I've ever did in my whole life. So let's uh, talk about you having this moment. You're on the beach. You realize, oh, my God, I, I actually miss work. I want to do more. I want to do something. And you have this idea. Yeah. I had, we, uh, we had were, you done anything with events before? No, nothing. Zero you things. You just thought it would be a fun thing to start? or Yeah. Well, no. We, we, we actually started the company by buying a very small business. We, um, 
before I sort of dropped off the face of the earth, I talked to a lot of smart people, media people I knew who said, hey, this is kind of what I think I want to do. And a guy called us with an opportunity. He said, you can buy this thing called the Telly Awards, which is this little award show based in Ashland, Kentucky. And he, this is totally true. He found this business in an ad in the back of the Wall Street Journal. He read it. He, then he clipped it, like clipped it, cut it, and faxed it to me. And I was like, okay, this is really weird. Took a look at it and said, this is great. Wait a minute. This is a database of creative professionals that are all doing internet things that need like recognition for their work, right? They're, if you make TV commercials, who says you do a good job or not? You need like third-party validation. So we did some research, found out there's a million of these little awards around. If we buy this first one and figure it out, we can probably do a bunch more and make this work out. And then that's what we did. So that's basically I flew to L.A. to do the work on this Telly Awards thing that we then raised a little bit of money and bought a few months later. So first, um, talk about what the Webby Awards are and how they started to become this kind of glamorous thing. So the Webby Awards, it was so we we bought the Telly Awards and we'd had some success with it. And then we uh, found out. Uh, that the Webby Awards were owned by IDG, uh, the big media company IDG. I think it just the whole big thing just got sold. They started this award show that in the 90s in San Francisco got some traction, but it kind of went out of business. Like for two years, they didn't have the show, but they had the brand. And we approached them and said, guys, we want to buy this from you. We, we, we want to buy this show from you. Um, the first year we had it, we got a thousand entries and the the business models people pay to enter and they'll they'll we get lots of corporate sponsors and uh we have a show but it's really like a big corporate sponsor business or some revenue from people entering uh, between when we bought it and sort of six or seven years later i think the first year it was 800 entries mainly all from the united states by the time we were done it's about 14 13 14 thousand entries now from 60 countries around the world and it's the de facto Thing. It's the award, it's the Can Lion or the Oscars for people to do internet stuff. And um, we built a brand really, really, really stealthily. We did it all by just making sure that the brand was impeccable, that the most important, most influential people liked it. And we did it all online at a time when that felt really weird to people. Like, how are you going to build this online? What does that mean? So it was a once a year event. Like, how much money can you make from an event like that? Um, well, I mean... With, it's hard to, I mean, I, I can't really tell you exactly how much, but there's, you can figure out the math yourself, right? It's not really like a ticket business, but it's really entry fees. The more people who enter, the better off this thing is. And then you're connecting really big corporate sponsors with very, very, very tight, very engaged audiences that are super, super valuable. It's like we can put you in front of the 2,000 people that make the best stuff in the world every year. And that's a really valuable thing. And so was it ever hard or because... No, everything's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's impossible. It, just, it tells us like, it tells us a super elegant story. Right. No, oh, but this is impossible. Everything was a disaster. Everything was hard. We, we had like eight offices. Like we couldn't get anything right. We, we made so many mistakes. Um, the nature of the internet is it's very forgiving. You can't really make that big of a mistake. The interesting thing about a business that's an award show is you said it, it's once a year. So... Now at about.com, we may, we can make changes that are instant tomorrow. At the Webby Awards, you make a change. It takes a year to see if that worked. So it the cycles, you learn how to manage businesses differently. And because you have the like a full year cycle, which is often very annoying. Um, but yeah, we did. I mean, we we made every mistake. So despite that, someone did come in and buy yeah, a yeah, big yeah. chunk of it. Yeah, yeah, we, we're happy. So happy exit. 
Uh, happy exit. I'm still on the board. We still own mm-hmm. uh, Exitish. I mean, I wouldn't say, it, but you know, every, everyone's happy. So that everyone's was happy. year. Was that? That was a that happened a couple of years ago. Um, uh, again, after, and then sort of I transitioned to First Mark Capital, mm-hmm. um, which I have a bunch of friends that are investors there. Those they're great. They're Pinterest and stuff. I'm sure you know you know those guys. Yeah, they've got early stage investments and things like Pinterest, Airbnb. I spent probably a year hanging out with with these guys at, and, and I learned so much in that year from just sitting and listening to their process. And the first thing I learned is I'm a terrible investor because I don't have the right, I don't, I'm not, I like the quick wins of running businesses, the, the long lead time thoughtfulness required to have a thesis and invest against it and follow up. It's just, it's just not my jam. I'm not, I'm just not that good at it. So you start to get bored and then IAC calls you. As you called me, and this is my favorite story. And so and IAC owns about.com. Yeah. So about.com was owned by the New York times. Mm-hmm. They owned it for five or six years. And IAC, which is Barry Diller and crew, uh, bought it for 300 million bucks ish in the end of 2012. And I got a call which is significantly less than the New York Times paid for it. It is less than the New York Times paid for it, which is less than Prime Media paid for it before them. And right. I think it, it's it's widely known. About was a mess at the at that point. It was um, it was still one of the probably twenty biggest sites on the internet, but it'd been a lot of neglect. And IC, who's very opportunistic in buying things, saw something that's okay. This still does a lot of revenue. Still has a hundred million users a month. We're pretty sure we can do something cool with this thing. So they they bought it in a very quick turn and. The there IC's, was a bidding war for it too. There was a little, a very quick yeah. bidding war that they the answers. won. Answers.com yeah, yeah, yeah. wanted it. Answers.com wanted it, and um, IC bought it. I think the, I think the entire cycle was seven days, which is crazy when you think about how that works. Um, probably five or six months after they owned it, uh, I wasn't there, so I can't say this definitively, but I can guess. I think it was a bit of a bigger mess than they thought, and I got a phone call from uh, Joey Levin, who's now the. CEO of IAC, and he might deny it went this way, but it very much went this way. Uh, he says, he calls me, and Joey's a very direct character. He says, you know, what do you think of about.com? And my answer in like perfect internet arrogance was like, I, I don't. Like, who thinks of about.com? <laughs> no one thinks. It's this thing with these blue links on it. Like, I don't think about about.com. He says, come in and talk to me about it. So I go in and talk to him about it, and I, I don't know if he like, I kind of thought he wanted me to help him find someone to do it. I knew they were kind of having trouble talk, figuring out who should run this, so Went to his office, the next thing I know, there's a bunch of guys in his office. The next thing I know, I go home with like a stack of information and thinking like, ugh, I don't, I'm going to, I'll look through it, I guess. And, and by the time I got through it, I had a full turnaround on, on what, a mental turnaround on what this thing could be. And uh, I, I think I was definitely, I was like the 25th person they talked to. Right. I mean, it was founded in the search era. Yeah. Really. There was no social. So Facebook wasn't driving nope, a ton of traffic. So it's all the good old days of Google search traffic. It's all Google search. Which and is still hugely important, by hugely, the way. And, and the model was, and this is the important thing to note, which, which took us a while to figure out, the model was the same thing as AOL or the same thing as MSN or the same thing as Yahoo. It was a big general information site. In our case, we made the content ourselves with experts. They made content different ways, but it was a big general information site. So I decided I would... I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do this. And I went and I signed up to do it. And there's a little bit of the reason is the you can't fall off the floor reason. Like, I'm not going to be the guy that ruined about.com. Like, it's already ruined. So, well, like, this is all upside you, here. What do you think of Marissa and Yahoo? Uh, we, can, we can actually talk about that. We have, we have a point of view on that, which is, which is part of how we decided to do what we did. We actually have a strong point of view on that. And I'll, I'll make the story a little shorter here. We, I joined... 
um, within a year, we took the employees from like 150 to 250. Every person, with the exception of one or two, above like senior director was new. I think we have 250 people now, and there's probably 10 that were there before we got there. And we had to, when I got there, I couldn't tell you how many ads we served the day before. I couldn't tell you how many visits we, it was just a mess. So we got there and spent the first year we building a data science team so we can understand what's going on. Um, building a sophisticated programmatic ad stack because you know what, our site kind of looks like crap. It's very hard for us to sell premium stuff. So we're gonna start selling programmatic things like moving away from some other monetization things like we use a lot of Google AdSense, like we have to not do that. Users don't really like that at scale. And hired a bunch of smart people. I basically went and sort of like drove the A-team van around New York and was like, I know you're great, we've worked together, come join us. And uh, I think people all got excited about the, the chance to fix an iconic internet brand that's been around forever. Um, year and a half into it, we launched a brand new site, rewrote every line of code. I mean, we had code from the 90s in there. Rewrote every line of code, every pixel, and we put forth a new about.com and everyone was excited. And we stopped the decline. Like we started to make more money, traffic stopped going down. Um, we could like go to a cocktail party with a straight face and say, look at this thing. And, and I think people were getting like, we had some pride in what we were doing and it was making some sense. And um, we, we felt good. And then sort of like six months later, we're still in the exact same spot. And we're like, oh, oh like why, why is this not growing? And, um, and, everyone, and again, at this time, everyone's really happy with us. I see is happy with us. And um, probably a, a, six, a year after we launched, we went back to IEC and this was the, this was the scary moment. This was like the big move and said, guys, everything we did was wrong. Like we're doing, we're doing it wrong. And I think a lot of the, how did you of, come to that realization? Well, if everything well, so, was on, so what we, what, and it goes back to your Marissa question. We realized that our fundamental model of what we were doing was wrong. Like our value is we have this great content that advertisers will be next to and consumers like, but nobody cares about a general information site anymore. And you have three constituencies when you're a publisher, advertisers, consumers, and people that send you traffic, which is basically algorithms. And it turns out that if you play tennis this weekend and hurt your knee, you don't want your why my knee hurts advice from about health. You want it from WebMD or everyday health. We're like, oh, point. Like if your router breaks at home, you don't want that from like about tech. You want that from Engadget. Advertisers, we heard this constantly. Your data is great. Your scale is great. We like your content, but you're not endemic, so we're not working with you. So they want head of household moms and they're, they make computers, but they, they would not give us any money. And then the, the other problem was algorithms. Google and Facebook and those guys no longer knew what to make of us. You can't have symptoms of colitis content on the same domain that you have, like how to unclog my drain, on the same domain you have like how to cook beer battered chicken and like how to fix my tendonitis. So for it algorithms- It works for Wikipedia though. It, but this, we'll talk about that in a second. It's a little bit different. For, for, for a site like us, and Wikipedia's traffic is going down by the way from search because they're not specific because people would rather go then go to Wikipedia, you'd rather go to like, a, if you have colitis, you'd rather go to a colitis specialty place in Wikipedia. So they're losing also. So we, we came to the realization that we needed to do something. We went back to IAC into that meeting and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn this place from AOL or Yahoo or MSN, and I'm going to turn this into Condé Nast or Vox, and that's what we're going to do. 
And this is either going to work and be a great success, or we're going to crash the plane as we're flying it. And this is going to be a horrible failure. But we're betting because our content's good, because we still have search traffic, because we know how to play social, that we're betting that we can do this. And I see because they're not a media company. They're an internet company. It's a, it's a huge difference that I've learned. They basically said, do it. Like, do it. Like, go ahead. Take the chance. Like, roll the dice and do it. We'd rather have the outcome that you are the next Condé Nast than have the outcome that is now, which is we're going sideways. So that sounds like it makes a lot of sense. But there is huge risk involved with a move like that. Existential risk. You like, have, we could have oh, yes. literally gone to zero. Yes, because you have, what, over 100 million people visiting about.com. Yeah, about that. And you're talking about launching all these new properties that have to start from scratch, right? Yeah, so what we... So, and what, then what's left for about.com? So what we said is we're going to take pieces of about.com, we're going to break them off and make these new brands, and then when we're done, about.com is going to go away. And as of now, May 2nd, we're announcing a new brand name for all of overarching brand for our so brands and about.com's going away. So this site that had a hundred million plus readers, you just canned. We didn't can yet, but we're canning in six weeks. Wow. Yeah. Well, again, because we've made, we've now made five different sites that if you add them up, have more users than about.com had. So and that was the trick. You, how, how long did that take? So uh, we've done it over the last 12 months. Uh, the story of the first one is an so easy one to tell. So within a year, you've built Four a bunch of different brands. brands that now are bigger than about.com ever was. In aggregate, when you add up all the things, not ever was because about was humongous, but, but we are, our traffic now, we have more traffic now with four of our five brands launched. So, so four brands in the market, one brand still under the about.com name. We have more traffic now than we had a year ago, two years ago when we were just about.com. And here's what we did. We... The first thing we wanted to launch is we wanted to launch, uh, we launched a health brand called Very Well. And we dove right into the pool. Health is our most valuable, most trafficked, biggest vertical. So we came up with an idea and our content is very much in the style of like WebMD or Everyday Health. But we thought those sites, we just didn't think they have served a market need. We thought that um, we could make a beautiful, kinder, gentler health site like you go to some of these other sites with a headache, you think you have a brain tumor, you come to us with a headache, we're going to make your headache feel better and explain why you had a headache and make it better. And that was the thesis. So we took our 100,000 pieces of health content on about.com, threw 50,000 in the garbage because they were old, we didn't like them. The other 50 were read by our writers. If it was medical information, it was read by a doctor. So we had 30,000 pieces of content read by physicians. Edited, cleaned up, built a brand new site from scratch a new taxonomy for our content, put it on the site. So we, we did that. And we built this beautiful new site from scratch, everything from scratch. Um, took design, product, content, tech, everyone, walled them off. You are now, you now work for very well. You don't work for about anymore. You work for very well. And so about people who remained were no longer able to write about beauty and health. Yeah, or, we, we or moved about- the health stuff all to very well. There's, health is now gone from about.com. And we launched it in April. And so you see, like, instantly a ton of traffic to about.com, I'm sure, go away. Terrifying. So, yeah. so really, you have to compare, you have to compare all of about, you have to compare all of about.com to now about.com plus very well, right? So here's what happens. A, a lot of more, probably at the time, 70% of our traffic was from search. Three weeks after we did this. No search traffic, I'm sure. No, well, you can, what you can do is the trick is making the search traffic move to your new place. But we built a new site with a new taxonomy, so every URL over here gets redirected to one over here. A month after we launched this thing, our health traffic, which is our most valuable traffic, was down 
traffic is on like 45 or 50 percent. So, but we we're like, okay, we're just gonna like hold on, and we're already halfway done doing our next vertical. All of a sudden, Facebook, Google, all the domains figure it out. As of now, today, I think our health brand has gone. I'm gonna get this slightly wrong because I always get numbers slightly wrong. Um, we had, I think we had 8 million uniques when we started a month. I think we have 17 million uniques now to very well. So we've, we've like pretty much doubled in size in 12 months. We're by far the fastest growing thing in the health space. I think we're number four or five on Comscore now in health because our bet was right. So we knew that this would work. Then we launched uh, something in the summer, did a, ran a very similar playbook on our personal finance content called The Balance, which has pretty much doubled in traffic since we launched it this summer. We launched something called LifeWire uh, in November, which is our sort of like tech evergreen content tech site, like how to fix my router, how to unbrick my iPhone. Uh, we launched three weeks ago, uh, about a month ago, something called The Spruce, which is uh, the third biggest home site on the internet, only behind HGTV and uh, the Hearst brands. We, we had such scale and about that we're launching these new brands into the world that are new to the space with no legacy issues, look like startups, but all of a sudden, like, we're top 10 in Comscore because we we're coming with such scale. And the market's like, what? Where did you guys come from? And we have one more site to launch called Trip Savvy, which we're launching in, uh, right after we change our name. Uh, we're now going to change the name of the company May 2nd. So as a collection of sites, how much traffic do you guys have? Um, more than when we started. I think, I don't know, last month, I, I, internally, I forget what Comscore is. I think Comscore, we were like 60 million last month or something. So we got a lot of scale. We're around the same size as you guys. Yeah, that is um, big. Yeah, we're huge. And and we're growing like crazy. I think internal we're like 100 million, but we're basically your size. We're so, basically business size. So for a while, it was great to be a site that was all-encompassing, had all this scale, you know, the Yahoo's, MSNs, and you. Are you saying that that's no longer the case and that the future is to work. go niche? Yeah, it doesn't. I, I just think the, the everybody wants days are over. You see it in the mall, right? There's no, there's no place for a department store. People don't want that anymore. People want things that are specialty. And I think the other people in our position, except for Amazon, except for everything. But I think, but well, but that that's like a. There's always a place for that. There's a place for Amazon and Target and Walmart because they're competing on price, or service or something, not on, what, not on expertise. And that's more of like a retail thing. But in content, you generally want content from someone you believe is an expert in that, that trends towards being an expert in like a domain of content, which trends towards being vertical. And I think. I think different people have made really interesting decisions about this. I think AOL has made a brilliant decision where I, I talked about, we looked at our content and said, all right, we make really premium content in these very premium areas. AOL looked at their type of content and said, you know what, this is content that is probably going to be best served by programmatic ad selling because of the type of content it was. Not that it's good or bad, it just is. They built an unbelievable ad stack. They assembled properties that work like this. And it totally worked and they crushed it. And now they're like Target. Like it totally works for them. And now, you know, that's why Yahoo makes sense. I think MSN didn't want to deal. So they, and I think Yahoo made a different decision. Like we looked at what we were doing and said, we make money one way. We sell ads against content and we're doing it wrong, but that's the fundamental model that works for us. Yahoo wanted to become something completely different that I don't think anyone totally understands exactly what the thesis was. And I think that's why it didn't work. I think the new Yahoo, if... I think the AOL Yahoo combo is going to be great. It's going to be great for advertisers. If it works, it's going to be like a legitimate third option to the big two. And I think they took the right approach. The big to two being Facebook and Google. Yeah, the duopoly. The the duopoly. I'm I you know like I think that duopoly is like 
No media buyer in the world wants there to only be two places to buy stuff from. So I think that's some, look, it's really dangerous and they're growing like crazy, but if you make valuable content and you give people a really great experience, there is a place for you in the world, like for sure. And that, I think when you're general, like when you're the old about.com, there might not have been a place for us in that world because it just doesn't work. But when you're very well or the balance and when you're like a mutual fund company that needs to advertise against people who are specifically looking for mutual fund information, we're an unbelievable resource for them. That's better than like guessing someone wants mutual funds on Facebook. So one thing you mentioned is that with AOL and Yahoo merging under Verizon, you think it'll be great uh, and could maybe challenge these guys. Um, and that's a mega merger. You know, that's all these one. huge companies coming together under Verizon. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's going to keep happening? And is that the, I mean, is your goal with about to build it up to a point where you could join and be a power player in a big mega merger like this? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I think... If you look at the history of IAC, they, you know, I, I, the market cap is five or six billion, but the value of the companies that have come out of IAC are what, like 50 or $60 billion. So there is a history at IAC of being the builder, not the buildee. And I think if we do this right, uh, I think we have a really interesting opportunity to build something great. So one kind of different question for you. What's Barry Diller like? He, what I say, first of all, he's great. He's, um, he does not suffer fools. He is, there's something incredibly frustrating that happens when you deal with him in that you'll be in a meeting with him or you'll get some feedback from him by email or secondhand or you'll talk to him directly and he will say something to you that at the time you will, you will, you will be like, I, I don't, well, cause you're like an arrogant CEO and you're like, I, I, I know better about my business than he does. Uh, what's he talking about? And then a day later you're like in the shower and you realize you're like, ugh, he was totally right. Like he was a thousand percent right. There's there's nothing he hasn't seen or been through. And he has this really unique way of, which I think you do when you sit his perspective, of just looking at our problems or our issues and just ignoring the nonsense and like bam, like right to it. And sometimes by getting right to it, you don't understand that right away because you're too in the weeds or you're busy running the business. But he just like nails it. And he's a he's great to work for. He, he, he does not suffer fools. There's not a lot of like nonsense, but it's, it's awesome to work for someone that this doesn't happen. Remember I said before, I can't, I never thought I'd work for anybody mm-hmm. again in my life. You can only work for people that you think are smarter than you. Very true. Um, so to wrap this all up, if you had to say the one thing, you've had a lot of different lives in your careers. I've had a lot of different lives. So what do you think is the but in all of them, you've found success. So what do you think is the one common thread that has made you successful in all of these different areas and ultimately in your career? I don't know. I'm annoyingly relentless when I believe in something. I think the, the I, I think when I was a banker, I learned that you'll, I figured out that you'll be much better at doing something if you're passionate about it. And it's not saying like my great passion in life is to build publishing companies or my great passion in life is to build award shows. But if you believe in what you're doing and you can get excited about it, you're going to be a thousand times better. And I'm really direct and I'm really honest with people, which doesn't always work that well. But if people always know where you stand, they stand with you, you will always know where you stand with them. And I think that's really valuable. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Cool. Thanks. It was fun. Thanks for listening to Success, How I Did It. For more episodes, subscribe on Acast or iTunes. 
You can also check out more interviews that we've done with the founders of Tinder, Bleacher Report, Warby Parker, and more. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.